Work History is an informative and fun deep dive into the workers behind the professions. I'm your host, Cassie Townsend, a jackette of all trades. We'll cover the ins and outs of jobs, careers, and the daily grind that led professionals to where they are and where they're going. On today's show, we're going to talk with a musician by the name of Vince Conaway. Hi, Vince, and welcome to Work History. Hi, Cassie. Thanks for having me. Yay! So uh, we are here at Sherwood Forest Fair, and I'm not sure if the bird chirping is going to... I hope so. I really hope so, too, because it's actually quite lovely. I have a fear of birds, so they better not swoop down here and attack us. Um, I hope you don't have any bird seed in your pocket. (laughs) No, no, I'm doing okay so far. Okay, great. And there might be the occasional vehicle that comes through here because this is not a work day for all of us. It's a it's a work light day. It's a preparation day. Yeah. So there's trucks dropping off supplies for the weekend. There's people um, showing up and with their vans unloading stock, yada, yada, yada. Or the, I heard a drill earlier. They might be fixing something in the back or in the front or a sign. Well, we're halfway through the run, and that seems to be a good time to do that sort of thing. Right. You've noticed all the things that are going wrong, and it's like, well, we still got four weekends left to deal with it. So. Exactly. Oh, no. We're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we, I do batch these episodes, so this episode very well might be released after the, the run is over. So where do you go after Sherwood? So after Sherwood, I am at the Scarborough Renaissance Festival outside Dallas for five weekends. And then I haul it to New Jersey where I will be doing the closing weekend of the New Jersey Renaissance Fair. Nice. Um, Then I've got a little bit of time to play with. Uh, I've kept my summer a little sparse deliberately where the only festival weekend I'm doing is a single weekend of the Midsummer Fantasy Renaissance Fair. I always get the words in the wrong order. Midsummer Fantasy Renaissance Fair in uh, Ansonia, Connecticut. Oh. And uh, then my big fall show uh, is Maryland and then into Louisiana. Maryland. Oh, I'm going to put all these in the show notes. Oh, so, awesome. uh, Maryland. And what was the last one? Louisiana. Louisiana. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be there too. Louisiana. I always love seeing you in Louisiana uh, because for the last couple years I was working a booth but where I was at you would often be you'd you'd put your busking station across the way yeah like within a hundred either either within 30 feet or within a hundred feet so I could see you way down the lane or like right across the way (laughs) as we all hid from the weather those days (laughs) oh my gosh pouring down rain sometimes but it was still lovely and people still came out because it's louisiana and they're like what's a little bit of rain going to do (laughs) you know i'm not gonna melt what are you sugar they are they are the second best wet audience other than uh seattle oh really yeah really interesting i'm sorry Rain weather audience. I'm trying to train myself out of the Renaissance Festival performer superstition to not say the R word. Oh, yes. Yes. It, that's important. Um, I now am part of the club of old people that can feel when the rain's coming. Mm. I can feel when that storm's coming. So if you ever see me rubbing my neck, you'll be like, oh, there's a storm coming? <laughs> you lie, yes, yes, there is. <laughs> Uh, so we're here at Sherwood, and you're a musician. There are a lot of people, I'm sure, now who know what a musician is. But could you express to me what your what your version of a musician is, or what musician means to you? So specifically, 
I perform music for the public on the Hammer Dulcimer. Um, feel free to look it up. Uh, D-U-L-C-I-M as in Mary, E-R. The Hammer Dulcimer is basically, to put it shortly, uh, the guts of a piano. It's a harp that you hit. It essentially looks similar to a xylophone with little hammers on my hands, but it uses wire instead of blocks of wood. Cool. That's a very, very apt description. <laughs> Been good to me. Well, I talk about it a fair amount. Yeah. Uh, playing <laughs> a weird instrument means I talk about my weird instrument, which right. is great. Uh, it's one of the, the things that I love about what I do is the, the fact that I am able to share it, especially with people who uh, are unfamiliar with it. And that's one of the joys of playing for the public, especially in a festival setting, the Renaissance and Medieval Festival circuit. First of all, it's a historical instrument, so it fits the theme, but also... Which is kind of rare, because a lot of people have plugins and guitars and snare drums and <laughs> it's it's a thing and i have to say i'm of two minds uh as a as a historical reenactor historian versus as a musician who really loves the cool stuff and creative solutions that that my colleagues are finding to uh, to various problems and to the sounds that they are creating uh but yes as a as a historical instrument it does fit with the theme but people don't come to the renaissance fair looking for a hammer dulcimer player I mean, a few of them do, and I love you. But in general, they're here for the joust. They're here for the turkey leg. They're here for the falconry show. They're here for the washing wall wenches. There are right. there are a lot of the boobs and the beer. <laughs> I, I would I, I would not have thought of that, but yes, very much so. Uh, toss in some some horses and random violence, and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am the surprise. Mm. I am I am not what they come for, but I like to be something that they find along the way. Yeah. And, and you are found along the way a lot of times because often, in my recollection, you will definitely school me on this, but in my recollection, dulcimer players and whistlers aren't usually on stages. They're usually in a, uh, not tucked in a corner, nobody puts baby in the corner, but they're on the lane crossing. They're in the, the, the meeting of two worlds. They're in the, um, the food, the ambient music three-quarters of the way through the festival. And that's that works very well. Now, I do have a, a stage show that I do out here uh, a number of times a day and oh. at most festivals. Um, but I had no clue. I didn't know. I, I don't really push it that hard. You know, people who look at the schedule have a place to find me, and I, I think that is important. But other than that, I really love playing at the crossroads on the side of the lane because it is that opportunity to be the pleasant surprise in someone's day where they are mm -hmm. not looking for it, but here it is. And they have found it because they were walking past on their way to the joust, on their way to the wenches, on the way to the turkey leg, and there I was. And I really enjoy that aspect of the impromptu performance and often resulting conversation of, so this is what I'm doing, this is how I do it, this is the instrument involved. That's great. What is your typical day as a musician? Now, I want to hear the whole week. I don't want to hear just your performance schedule on a weekend, but we could start there. Well, okay, that is, that is not a bad place to start. So what I generally do is at most shows, I have three or four scheduled half-hour to 45-minute stage slots. And then between those, I schedule myself uh, on my own recognizance. It's, it's typically just management says we trust you don't step on anyone's toes and if there needs to be a conversation conversations happen but in general most of what i do in the lanes is to my own schedule oh this looks like an interesting place oh this has a, a good traffic flow oh i really like the vibe 
in this spot and this particular here at Sherwood, we have a couple places uh, that I, I managed to get myself on the schedule, even though it's a lane show, not on the stage, but I really love the seven sisters stone circle we have here. I just oh, yeah. really dig the vibe. And because of that, I, I, uh, when I first came here seven or eight years ago, it was, it was very few people were doing anything in that area. Yeah. And over the years, more and more things have been scheduled in the area. And so I asked management to put me on the schedule just to, <laughs> so I could. Right. So I had a window when right. I, I could do it. You're like, don't push me out. Right. You know, it's like, I, <laughs> I brought I the people here. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So uh, that that so is that's, my that's part festival of the day. day. Yes, okay. that is. So my festival day is anchored by a several stage shows with a bunch of lane playing in between. I generally take more breaks than I used to, but fewer than I probably should. Um, my body has reminded me. I'm, I'm not to the point where I can tell the weather, but I am at a point <laughs> where my body says, hey, you need two half hour breaks in a day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas in my 20s and even into my 30s, that was less of a consideration. And I'm like, I will get all the rest I need walking from one place to another. And <laughs> right. that's it. Carrying a very heavy instrument. Right, right. Well, in that place, you know, it was like an emotional reset as much as more than a physical reset. Right. And now I need both. Well, and I'm going to jump in here too. There is something you forgot in your day, which is the morning meetings for yes. entertainment. So the entertainer is not just uh, show up when canon happens and start playing. It, at most festivals. At some we are. Oh, all right. That, that is that is a, an interesting thing. There is uh, one or two festivals where the actual contract is you have to be on site a certain amount of time before your first performance. Uh, which means you end up a lot fewer independent acts at, at the morning meeting. But I right. even at even at those shows, I like to attend the morning meeting just because. First of all, there's a sense of performance camaraderie. Second of all, if you're right. there early, you get a better parking spot. And right. <laughs> also, you know, it's when you're updated on what's going on. You know, it's mm -hmm. good to know what is the theme of our weekend. Are there sign language interpreters on mm. site? Yeah. What is uh, going on and uh, generally being announced. Or what's an important information. You right. know, there's a lot of times where I've been at a morning meeting and they talk about the gate numbers from the previous day. I love that mm -hmm. because I'm a spreadsheet nerd <laughs> and I love putting in the numbers to find out how you know how'd I do how did I do it's like I knew how you know? I did you know it's like did I beat the per capita average did I right it, exactly you know, the price yeah. per head the just knowing like did I guess correctly right like this feels like a 10,000 person day but mm -hmm. was it really yeah um or was I just busy for some fluke Right. right for whatever that was whatever it is that i'm doing whether it's a food booth or a, another craft vendor or a performance you know was my house really full because uh because the joust there's something happened and they couldn't have a joust you right. know? or was my audience really empty and was it my fault or was it that the festival was empty right so those are numbers that i like to have for sure and uh, then after you've been walking around and performing all day, you go home, you wind down, and yeah, that's it. I I call it an early night. I I am an introvert, and I really need my my evenings uh, as a chance to wind down. Every now and then, fewer times now, um, but uh, in the past, you know, that we tend to be friends uh, with the colleagues with other performers with people who work in the booths mm -hmm. and uh a lot of times you know people will have dinner plans and go out as groups uh but i'm still a little leery about indoor group activities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh 
So I, I've stepped back from that and I've really been, I've, I found during lockdown, I don't know if it made me more of an introvert or if it revealed that I always <laughs> had been and I just mm-hmm. didn't, didn't need to fake it long enough to realize that I had been faking it. Mm-hmm. Um, I but think I, that happened for a lot of people. Yeah, sure. it was, it was, I don't know, like I said, I don't know if it was changing or revealing, but it, it was a shift and uh, I love my relationship with my audience, but at the end of the day, I really just need to go hide and, and recharge. Uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. recharge. And so that's especially Sunday night because at that point an entire weekend is gone. And uh and then I, I there's nothing left in the tank. Right. I just right. I can't human anymore. Right. And three day weekends are definitely a thing Brutal. too. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday, depending on the holiday or what's going on with the festival. Those are definitely a challenge too. Um, I, I thought about, um, like, boy, oh boy, wouldn't it be fun if Ren Fair was open? Right. Oh, uh, we're outside. So this sound of rain is not rain. It's just wind. Uh, a light, gentle breeze has come through, but I, I do have foamy covers on these microphones, but I don't have any additional windscreens. I didn't ever foresee myself recording outside. <laughs> But I actually quite like this. This is lovely. So, um, listener, I hope you're not too misophonic and you're able to enjoy this with us. The, uh, uh, all right, we've so talked about your weekend. That's the weekend. That is that is the performance time. What is your um, musician life for during the week or your quote-unquote, oh, here comes a golf car. There goes a golf car. So during the Renaissance <laughs> festival season, and I need to clarify because there are a couple different things I do, but during the Renaissance festival season, my week is Monday is nothing. Mm, unday, we Monday like to is, call it. Yes. Monday the unday. And I know on site there is a lot going on and there's a lot of social activities. I still have nothing in the tank on Monday. Mm-hmm. I, I try and make a Monday morning get together uh, bizarre. Once per show per season, and wow. I often fail. Oh, interesting. It's uh, it's just I. It's just whether I can, and it's not dragging myself out of bed physically. I feel great. I'm a morning person. Um, I also took up exercise during lockdown, and I find that I am less physically incapacitated by a Monday than I, I had been previously. I used to feel, even in my twenties, like I'd been hit by a bus. Mm. Now I'm tired, but I'm not. Exhausted. Wrecked, yeah. And uh, but I still have that. The, the social tank is empty, and uh, and of course to go spend time and say hi to people I very dearly care about takes more energy than I necessarily have. Monday mm-hmm. is a hard nothing day for me. Now, yeah. occasionally I will make plans on a Monday evening because by by the afternoon my tank may start to refill. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in general, Monday is off. Tuesday is errand day. Mm-hmm. Tuesday is all of the things that need doing. Tuesday is laundry day. Tuesday is grocery day. Tuesday is, uh, do I need to go to the post office? Do I, do I need to go to an office supply store to get printing done? Mm-hmm. You know, that was a big thing that was this week because I had, because I'm doing taxes. Yay. Yay. Uh, welcome to small business. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all of, all of that office stuff I I tend to do on Tuesday and I do a little bit of rehearsal most Tuesdays but I don't hold myself to it. Monday is no music. I need at least one day a week where I 
don't play, that I step away. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can come back recharged and excited. Uh, Tuesday, I often start to get back into the groove of rehearsal. Um, and then I really hit rehearsal a lot harder on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And uh, I like to do at least an hour of rehearsal a day. Um, with my temperament and the way that I work, I like to do 30 to 45 minutes in the morning and then another 30 to 45 minutes early in the evening mm. because uh, my circadian rhythm doesn't like afternoons. <laughs> Understood. Understood. So I specified earlier, this is, this is my, my festival week where, uh, mm -hmm. where I do a lot of rehearsal during the week and as well as the administrative of running a business plus the welcome to live being human who is in a body that is wearing clothes right? Um, sort of things. But I also, mm, let's say four to 10 weeks a year, typically, uh, I like to go and travel as a street performer, as a busker. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, this past January, February, I spent four weeks in Italy. The prior July, I spent in Ireland. The prior February, I spent in Italy. The prior July. So that was my first post-lockdown tour uh, because I'd found a dirt cheap ticket to the Netherlands. And Whoa, I spent cool. uh, five weeks touring Belgium and the Netherlands. Wow. That's and, exciting. Uh, so, yeah, I'm... I'm that is a totally different rhythm, though. Um, yeah. Because that is this... I get a lot less rehearsal done because I do a lot more performance. On an hourly basis, hours per week, it works out to be about the same. Mm. But I'm playing four hours a day, five days a week, rather than 10-hour days, two days a week. Right, right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I just recently got my passport so congratulations I'm, yeah i'm very excited for that i had a passport when i was in my 20s and i really only had it as a form of identification right and that was it uh i never got out of the country because when i was in my early 20s they said oh blonde girl even going to tijuana is a terrible idea i'm like oh, but i mean if i went with friends it'd be fine uh um, and so I never went. And then even though I was raised in Vermont, like we never went to Canada. I never went to Canada. My cousins did, but I never did. Hmm. Uh, so now, now that I'm in, in my forties and I am got my second passport, I am ready to go out of the country. And I talked about this on the last episode, but I am really excited to like, just go anywhere. <laughs> I want to go anywhere and everywhere. And Unfortunately, there's some stuff happening um, recently in March where uh, Americans were going over the border in Mexico right. and not coming back. So I've been advised yet again mm -hmm. not to go, even though all I want to do is just walk up to the border patrol and go, please stamp this. Right. And I want to step on the <laughs> other side and literally turn around. Like, I just want to be like, I made it, you know? <laughs> But I understand people want me alive. Well, there's there's always that consideration. I uh, I mentioned I was in Italy this January and February, and my original plan had been to go back to Argentina because it's been a minute since I'd been down there. My grandfather's from there, and mm. uh, and according to Ancestry.com, I had an, I, someone had an illegitimate kid when they were down there because everyone we know I'm related to is out of Argentina, but uh, they're finding genetic matches, and I'm like. 
Great grandpa. <laughs> Had a little fun. Had a little fun. And it's been a family secret family theory for a long time that uh yeah. that, that he had, had been sowing some wild oats and an ancestry said, We found matches and I'm like, Hey mom, <laughs> guess what? And uh but yeah, Argentina uh is experiencing some political turmoil and hyperinflation. And oh. as someone uh as a busker, it would not be a financially worthwhile trip. Um, but as a yeah. tourist with, with hyperinflation, I mean, you know, it's like a four course steak dinner is $2, oh my but gosh. that also means at any random point, there could be rioting in the streets right. because the economy is just absolutely crashing and wow. being again, not quite blonde, but you know, the, yeah, the, the, the guy who is, is yeah, not, not yeah. from around here who, who has an accent, you know, there's, there's. There is a certain amount of, of vulnerability that I didn't want to expose myself to. And I love Italy. So I'm like, it's not exactly a, a hard second choice to have. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I I just want to get out of the country somewhere, somehow, at some point. My partner suggested that perhaps we um, we just look at your tour schedule and find out when <laughs> you're going to be in Italy and show up just like casually walking by and go, oh, hi, Vince. That happened to me by accident in, uh, in oh, Kilkenny, Ireland. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was set up and playing and, and someone walked by and we just made eye contact. And it was like, wait, what? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> click, 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 boom. <laughs> wow. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, we were going to try to plan it. Anyway. But might I recommend Canada? I love Canada. I mentioned that my summer is kind mm-hmm. of sparse. And honestly, what I'm going to do with my sparse summer is I'm going to spend it in Canada. Exciting. Some of my very closest friends uh, live up there. I'm probably going to go do, do some street performing in Ottawa and visit some other friends in that area. But yeah, I am, I am a huge, huge fan. Cool. I live... My home base is in Washington State, so I know that I Vancouver will be, is beautiful. I will be visiting Vancouver in December, January time for sure. But this summer in July, I'm slated to perform at the Maine Renaissance Festival for my first time ever. Maine is very close right there. to Canada, right there. So I'm planning on uh, hopping the border. Probably while I'm there. So my last North American bucket list city is Halifax. And I almost pitched Maine just to be within a seven hour drive of Halifax. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just, I looked at the way it figured out because it's, Halifax is so out there and and Canadian airport fees and taxes are higher than ours. So flying into Canada is fairly expensive. And Halifax is like a two day drive from any place that I am. Right. But I'm like, oh, if I do Maine. Except for Maine. Cool. Well, that's a shame that you're not going to be there this year, but perhaps perhaps in the future because I think that's going to be my show but I don't know nice. we'll see what happens what was your let's go back in time mm-hmm. to four or five year old Vince what was your dream job like what did you want to be when you grew up I wanted to drive a train I wanted to be a an train. engineer Choo no. choo. My, my parents have a huge framed picture of me in an engineer's costume Aww. when I was when I was a toddler. So cute. Uh, I was obsessed with trains. Absolutely yeah. obsessed. I was terrified of Santa Claus, but I sat on his lap screaming and crying long enough to say, I want a train! 
<laughs> and my parents still regale me with the story. Oh, that's lovely. Did you ever get a chance to realize that dream? Have you have you been on many trains? I'm on a lot of trains. It's one of the things that I love about Europe is I travel by train pretty much everywhere. That's great. Um, and uh, and even even domestically, I'm a big fan of uh, of American subway systems. I mean, I know I know how frustrated and understand how frustrated New Yorkers are with their subway system. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I hate to say it, but yeah, the the tea in Boston is better. Still. Anyway, um, but uh, but yeah, I just I love trains. I love travel by train, and it is it is just one of my happy places. Is the fact that when I'm in Europe, I'm almost always on trains. That's cool. That's great. I'm glad you get a chance to relive that um, dream as a childhood memory because a lot of us, as humans, we we have this amazing lofty goal and we never get to realize it because the real world comes crashing right. in for whatever reason. So that's really cool that you get to kind of live vicariously through that. In the monorails or whatever, do you ever try to sit in the very front so you feel like you're conducting it? What's really nice, not quite, but I really enjoy older trains where the window's open. They're not climate oh. controlled and that can be its own discomfort. But to have to have the breeze going through my hair on a train just reminds me of uh, of, of train rides when I was a kid. You know, it's yeah. like it, I, I grew up in northern Ohio, uh, not far from Cedar Point. And Cedar Point had a, a, a steam engine that would oh. go around the site. And to this day, you know, playing in the morning uh, near the Blacksmith's Forge, it smells like my childhood. It smells like that train. Oh, that's uh, cool. Because of the, the coal and the coke that they're using to yeah. uh, forge. That's really cool. That's neat. Thank you for that little memory. That's really cool. What was your first job ever? I. <laughs> what did you get paid for? I was uh, a teenager. And I, uh, I was 17 and I did not want to work fast food. All of my friends were working fast food and I'm like, I I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so for minimum wage, drastically underpaid for the job I was doing, I became a laborer on a construction site. Construction. Wow. Well, hauling stuff. I mean, it's like, I wasn't really building much. Right. They gave me a jackhammer and told me to demolish stuff every now and then. And that was a good day. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that was that was my first job was uh, was doing a, a summer working as a, a construction laborer. Manual labor. Yeah, yeah, it's good for your muscles. It was it's good but for fresh air. My back still has uh, has some issues, but the thing that I liked about construction, um, in and this is held up through my entire career, any given job is made or broken by your coworkers. Mm-hmm. It's it's not necessarily the nature of the work, but who you're doing it with. And I don't know if it's just a general thing or if I just got really lucky with several uh, individual crews. But everyone I worked with uh, doing construction were just really cool, fun people. Oh, that's great. And I, I had a really good time. And uh, honestly, it was a really good experience for that. Everyone that I was with was just low-key chill uh funny and you know just having fun with what they were doing yeah that's fantastic that's good uh it's you're 
completely right. Your any job is made or broke by the people that you're surrounding yourselves with in whatever job that is. So if you're working, like if you're working at home, that's kind of a benefit if you don't like people because then, you know, you're only interacting with people in the meetings, but otherwise you're just working but on your own. Even then, you still, because I, I, I did a lot of tech work later on and that even, you know, there's always a connection, even if it's just an email, even if it's, uh, I mean, in my day, it was a AOL Instant Messenger and internal uh, chat, but now it's like, discourse and slack and stuff like that right. but but the people who are on the other end really matter and and you know people who mm-hmm. take it seriously enough to accomplish things but not so seriously as to as to be a downer um, yeah. so to speak you know it's like there is there is this fine line and i found that that has held true even even virtually you know especially when we were all cooped up for uh for much of 2020 and also to build on that, it's one of the things that I love about this job. I love about the Renaissance festivals is that my coworkers and my colleagues tend to be really interesting, kind of off the wall, but ultimately well-grounded people because we're all running our own businesses. So yes. there's there's yeah. only so wacky you can be, but there is <laughs> right. a certain amount of wacky you need to be to have made the choices to be out here. That's true. And it's that fine line, that balance that we all ride that is one of the things I really treasure about this particular gig. I, I think you just touched on a point that I don't even, I don't even know if my listeners fully understand some of them do because some of them are renaissance employees in one way or another but for those that that have nothing to do with the renaissance fair world these jobs the renaissance fair as a company is one entity so let's say sherwood for example the sherwood forest renaissance festival is its own company but then the vendor coordinator is hiring small businesses not even hiring they're contracting with small businesses to rent them a piece of the property. So that small business has to pay to be here. They have to create their own product. They have to abide by the rules. So it's not even like you get a brick and mortar and you get to sell whatever you want. You have to abide by the rules of the land of whatever festival you're showing up to. So it's not even like Disney. Like Disney, when you walk onto a Disney property, they own everything. If you buy a turkey leg or a churro at Disney, that's owned by Disney. If you buy a turkey leg or a churro at a Renaissance festival, that's owned by the turkey booth or and, the churro maker. And it's not just, you know, it, it is everyone because mm-hmm. the, the layers and levels of subcontracting, you know, no one is a W-2 employee. So it's like right. you have the festival and you have a booth that comes into the festival who is, I'm looking at a leather shop across the way. So let's say my good friend Virgil here, mm-hmm. uh, Crimson Chain Leather. He, uh, he is, he runs booths all over the country. He makes product, but then he also has people working for him who are also independent contractors. Mm -hmm. So the people who are selling for him here at this booth may not be selling for him exclusively. They may have other jobs lined up at other shows. And it's like that for everyone out here, whether you're a performer, whether you are uh, selling turkey legs, whether you are crafting part of a leather demonstration, whether you are picking up the trash on the streets or digging the ditches during the week. The site crew is in the same boat. They are, mm-hmm. they're 
all constructing their own schedules. They are all self-employed 1099 to get tax involved. Uh, 1099 form contractors. And because of that, every single person you meet is to some extent or another their own boss. Yeah. And there is a certain mentality that's just... Yeah, it, it, this community is, is really powerful for that. And yeah. it's, it's a really amazing thing to be a part of, uh, both professionally and socially. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for touching on that, because I don't, I, I, I don't think we've ever mentioned that being a thing. Like, we're all so independent here. It's, it's wonderful. We're d- both dependent on each other. Right. You know, we, we're dependent on the fact that it is a festival and it's themed a certain way, but it, we're also independent in the choices that we get to make for our own schedule and our own times. That's awesome. Thank you. What was, uh, did you go to college? I did. I'm, I am drastically overeducated. Okay. <laughs> um, so my mom made this joke for decades, uh, still is, is, uh, I wanted to be an engineer as a child, mm-hmm. and then I went to college for engineering. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I came out with a Bachelor of Computer Engineering just as the dot-com boom went bust. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was already doing some performing as a musician, and I, I, I knew that that was a direction I wanted to do more with. And it turned out in August of 2000, singing folk tunes at a Renaissance fair was a more reliable income than wow. computer engineering. Wow. And, uh, and what happened was uh, I, I started into it as a, as a sideline. I had been doing it already. Uh, I had come up with about a five or six month annual tour during college. And uh, I continued that and I picked up a, a, a day job just doing data entry and secretarial work because I was a really fast typist. Mm-hmm. And uh, until a couple years later, I was, uh, I was able to, uh, to make it go full-time. And then, after I went full-time as a musician, uh, my sisters got into some financial trouble, and my parents bailed them out. And uh, my mom said to me, uh, Hey, we feel guilty hmm. that we have, we have bailed your sisters out, and you haven't needed bailing out. Um, do you want to go back to school? <laughs> Huh. And I said, I will totally go pick up a master's degree in history on your dime. Thanks. Wow. And so, which I did while maintaining my full Renaissance Festival schedule, uh, wow. which had its own challenges. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but yeah. That's so really I'm, lucky that you, that you had parents who could help with that. Massively. Yeah. Massively. That's, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up with, uh, with, in a two-union household. and. Mm that level of protection doesn't really exist anymore, but they were the last generation to have that. And I'm very grateful that they understand uh, what a unique time in history they came of age in. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I, I think we're similar in age, but I'm not certain um, because you know, the mysteries of life are astounding, but my, the way I grew up, I had a single mom uh, who was, just a single mom until I was eight and then my stepfather came around but by the time he came into our lives he was already a retired on social security disability from being a police officer Mm. so he saved us in the fact of he was finally somebody stable in our lives he was a protector a Mm -hmm. natural protector 
this is probably getting into some therapy talk, but I wear my heart on my sleeve so anybody could hear this and I don't mind saying it. But Bob really saved my mom and I and the and he taught me a lot. He really did. But I feel like um, we were always financially behind the eight ball. Mm. And I never had that opportunity. My mom worked at fast food her entire life. And, you know, from minimum wage job to minimum wage job, very light on the raises, became like a manager, but it's still not enough money. Right. And he had social security disability, which is not very much money either. And um, they had lofty goals, of course. I was always... I was always shown those rose-colored glasses of what could be and, and pie-in-the-sky thoughts. And, yeah. you know, we're going to get a split-level home, and we're going to get, uh, you and me, kid, we're going to get motorcycles, and I'm going to get a sidecar for your mom, and we're going to just drive around the country, and it's going to be so great. And so I think because I got that rose-colored glasses um, and and uh, wishful thinking mm-hmm. uh, for, for most of my eight, 12, 16 year old life. Then when it came time for me to fly the nest, I, I was empowered to do whatever I needed to do Mm -hmm. to make something happen for myself. And part of that was not just falling into the trope of getting pregnant young and, and working at fast food my entire life and, and living that all over again. Right. So, um, so my dad really planted the seeds of travel in me of let's go, let's see different states. And even though he and I never did, we still did, you Mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. Um, and so when they both passed, eventually, uh, he passed in 2011, she in 2018, they were both cremated and now I carry them with me everywhere. And I actually sprinkle them in every state that I go to. So I am planning on bringing them out of the country when I go. That's going to be really exciting. That's awesome. Because I don't think my mom has ever been out of the country. So mm-hmm. I hope she likes it. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been finally resting placed uh, in a lot of the United States, yeah. which has been pretty cool. That's that's. I don't know how I got. No, that, <laughs> that's that's, topic, that's amazing. But... Well, it's interesting that you talk about the the travel that way because I feel that my childhood, in many ways, was kind of training wheels uh, for the the lifestyle of wandering around the country because my uh, my dad's family was south of Pittsburgh, but my mom's family was in Cleveland, and mm. we we were west of Cleveland, and so I grew up shuttling between southwestern pennsylvania and northeastern ohio mm-hmm. and uh you know nowadays i look and i'm like oh it's a three and a half hour drive i eat those for breakfast but <laughs> right, it was right. it, one of the reasons i eat three and a half hour drives for breakfast is because we would go to christmas christmas eve in cleveland and then christmas morning in pittsburgh right you know right. And, and we did that all the time not just for the holidays but right. you know uh my mom was a teacher and we would go, you know, spend summer vacations or at least long stretches of it in, in middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Right. And it was, uh, just that level of travel that, Hey kids get in the car. We're going away for three days. Right. I, you I have no think, choice. Yeah. You right. know, but I really think that it did help, uh, get me to a point where I could perceive that and live that in a larger context. Yeah, for sure. 
that actually sparked some memories for me that I don't think I've ever said on this podcast as well, is that my whole family's from South Jersey. My mom never had a driver's license. She never drove. We always took the bus or train or something. But my grandparents would drive from South Jersey up to Vermont because they had a chalet. And I know that sounds really bougie and special. It was it's just a cabin right. on a <laughs> on a very small mountain where they helped form the mountain like mm-hmm. then and it became a ski resort and it's called Pico the Friendly Mountain and if you want to stay at Alpenblick it's up for it's like a condo you can you can rent it sorry about the mold smell um <laughs> it's not bougie <laughs> but that's where we would spend our christmases and because i was raised in Vermont they would drive six hours right. to come up and spend time with me. And then in the summer, they would take me down to New Jersey to spend my summers there. So it was very regular for me to drive six hours, right. or rather ride six hours um, just to just to go to another state, drive through three states to get there, New York, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, and and spend the summer there. And I think that was very formative for this lifestyle as well as I now, uh, you know, like you said, eat three hours for breakfast. Like, yep. Uh, somebody said, Oh, it's, it's in Oklahoma. I don't think I can make it. And I was like, really? That's like literally a day drive for me. Like (laughs) that's an afternoon. What are you talking about? Yeah. My grandmother, I was, I was traveling from one place to another and I said, I'd like to meet you in middle of July. I think I can make it there by, we've got another golf car passing us. I mean, the sound effect for the the fact that we're talking about traveling is right. (laughs) Exactly. That's my producer. Thank you so much, Chris Kempton, for uh, putting that in there. Just kidding. Um, and it's one of those things that I said, yeah, I don't know when I'm going to get there because I, I like to travel on a very loose schedule, like wake up when I want to, mm-hmm. start driving whenever I want to, be prepared for breakdowns if, if that happens. And I don't want to promise I'll be there by Thursday at 4 o'clock right. because that stresses me out. And... She was like, well, you don't have to come all the way here. And I was like, well, I mean, it's only 12 hours difference. Like, what's 12 hours? Like, right. That's literally like a day and a half. That's fine. I can do that. She goes, you're going to drive 12 hours? What are you thinking about? I was like, it's fine. I want to see you. <laughs> like, My want to see her is more important mm-hmm. than the fuel or the time that it's going to take me. And how beautiful is that? You know, right. I get to enjoy the scenery. So... You sound like you've had a lot of odd jobs in your life, but at the same time, as a musician, I think musicians just already have a lot of odd jobs. So before I get to my spine question of odd jobs, when did you pick up the dulcimer? Hmm. So I was already a musician when I picked up the dulcimer. I wouldn't imagine that you would just be like standing in a music store no. and then gravitate towards that. Well, so. I did, but I already played four instruments when I, that wow. happened. But wow. that is that is a pretty good description of what eventually happened. But what I did was I uh, I had piano lessons as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I would have screaming arguments with my mother about practice. And uh, mom's Italian. I mean, screaming oh, yeah, yeah. arguments. Yeah. And, and, and you even did the hand motion oh, yeah. of Italian. No, no. So it's like people get it. I might have a little trauma there. <laughs> there, was, there was occasionally a little bit of violence. Um, 
<laughs> it's okay, mom. We still love you. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm so grateful um, because that was the foundation of everything else. Because once you have a background in music, uh, especially if you can read music, you really can do anything. And then I spent yeah. high school singing in choir. Mm. Uh, choir was my thing. I wasn't choir wasn't, was my thing too. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a band kid, although. All my friends were, most of my girlfriends in high school were in band. Um, it just, I, I didn't play an instrument. I did accompany uh, on piano every now and then for the choir. You know, it's mm. like I would do a piano part while the choir was singing. Or more commonly, I would I would do a piano accompaniment when one of my friends was in a, a singing competition. Mm-hmm. Um, which I enjoyed more than actually competing. I I. I I dislike competition in mm. general. Competition is conflict, and I hate that. Um, <laughs> I never got to compete in my choir. It was just perform at the local church and you know do our do our recitals. We but. had a director when I was in high school who was a solid music director, mm-hmm. but a brilliant music promoter. Ooh. So we sang all over the place. We wow. sang gigs that I don't know how we got. You know, it's like we <laughs> sang the national anthem for every local sports team except the Cleveland Browns because wow. uh, they were too good at the time. Uh, the now Guardians at the time, Cleveland Indians, uh, we sang a bunch of times because they weren't very good. We sang <laughs> once or twice for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, huh. And that that's a fascinating experience because singing in a stadium does weird acoustic things i can only imagine i've only heard stories it's it's fascinating and to the point where so okay so singing uh singing in a big stadium at the time municipal stadium later on jacobs field i don't know what they call it anymore uh when they built it it was jacobs field anyway the cleveland baseball stadium Mm -hmm. um when it was municipal stadium especially it was this massive concrete structure from like the 40s or 50s or whatever and uh, you would end up with this echo and you were singing into microphones and so you're hearing the amplified version of you come back Ooh. and they actually in order to make it a little less disorienting they put the the microphones on a delay so it's not that you're hearing your immediate echo which is acoustically what might happen but you're hearing like a four second delay uh, on the music coming back to you so you have to be a really focused tight group wow. in order to to overcome because you want to sing along with what you hear and that's just yeah. a train wreck waiting to happen oh my god um and in in the uh in that the basketball so stadium for the, yeah it was it was intimidating and for the basketball team they just got around that completely uh you went into a music studio before the game mm-hmm. and you recorded live the <laughs> national anthem and then you went upstairs and lip synced to the recording you just made oh interesting and uh, and so I'll also you know thinking about it now that was a, a quick early introduction to recording which has been my life and my bane. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that I've got it down to a pretty smooth process. Well, that's good. That's um, good. But yeah, it was it was uh, an interesting exposure to touring even because we would do a four day tour every year and it would have some aspect that our director could pitch as educational. There would always be a couple of college visits, you know. So it's right. like. Hey, we uh, we're going to Baltimore, so we're going to go to this college and that college and this historic site and that thing. And also, <laughs> we are going to sing here, 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 and here, and we're going to sing for a uh, soccer professional soccer team. I think it was. Wow. Um, you know, it was, and and he would do this. He was he was a brilliant booker, brilliant promoter, um, wow. as much as he was a, a solid director. 
That's great. And uh, and so that that also you know that thinking about that's thank the you, travel. That was, that was know, there's a, there's a lot that ties into that as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, that was that was a whole thing. So anyway, I had this background in music, and then I go off to college, and I'm studying engineering. Um. All right, I'm going to out myself as a real nerd. I'm sure you're Please shocked. Please do. One of the reasons I wanted to study engineering uh, was, first of all, I didn't felt called to do anything else. And then I saw the statistics on starting salaries, and I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't suck. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm not particularly motivated by money, but if in the absence of any other motivation, it'll work. <laughs> right. And I, uh, I've, my attitude towards my, my undergraduate education was, I want a formal, rigorous curriculum to teach me math and science. I need mm. that structure in order to learn math and science. But I love music and art, so I can learn music and art on my own. So what I was doing is I was trying to, in my supreme teenage arrogance, construct <laughs> essentially a liberal arts curriculum using the most hard mode I could. Huh. Where I'm like, okay, I'm going to take all of these. I'm, I'm going to get an engineering degree, which will cover the math and science. And then I'm going to teach myself music and teach myself languages and teach myself uh, art. And a lot of that <laughs> eventually happened. But it was this was, this was hard mode. Yeah. Um, and what I did was I, uh, at the very end of my high school career, uh, my last high school girlfriend's father had built a mountain dulcimer, which has nothing to do with a hammer dulcimer. It's a three or four string instrument. You strum it across your lap. But he had built one, and he had it as a wall hanging, as an ornament on the wall. And mm -hmm. I took it down, and I'm messing around, and I'm like, this is so much fun. And so I took my brand new, I'm 18, my brand new credit card to a music store. Uh, <laughs> and of course, I had to take a Yellow Pages and call, you know, 70 places before I found one right. uh, that would carry this weird folk instrument. And, uh, and then I used the map in the back of the phone book in order to find the place <laughs> that I had just called. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I went and I bought the instrument and the lovely old lady gave me a lesson. Hmm. And uh, sold me some books. And because I could read music, that was enough. You know, I could learn from a book. This is, at this point, 10 years, 15 years before YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the, the things, the resources that I take for granted now were not available then. And right. so, you know, sitting down with an instrument and a book and a vague conception of how things work musically... Uh, was enough. And then I got obsessed and I practiced compulsively, mm. uh, which is a theme within my life since. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I, a little later on, uh, picked up mandolin. Mm. And neither the dulcimer nor the mandolin really fit my voice. And at the time, I wanted to be a folk singer because I had just come off all these years of choir. I have a, a fairly well-trained voice and mm. I enjoyed the engagement with an audience, the vocal work provided mm -hmm. and so I got a slightly different style of mandolin out of a catalog that didn't come with any directions I literally invented a tuning for it had to then wow. create my own chord charts for fingerings oh my gosh um and uh later on I switched to a better tuning hard but yes mode, yes hard yes mode. I I really I mean <laughs> my life is so, I have all this privilege and uh and I really did go out of my way in some cases not even knowing that I was doing that you know, right. it's like, it's not like I'm trying to make my life harder. It was like, well, let's see if we can do that. Right. And, uh, and then certain things worked. And then I, I started, uh, off as a folk singer and I sang a friend's party. Mm. 
And I sang at a friend's party, and they said, you have to audition for the Ohio Renaissance Festival. Oh. And I said, oh, I'm not ready yet. You know, I had been attending the Renaissance Festival. I really, uh, I treated it as a cover charge on a really good pub. I shouldn't say bar because I, I wasn't of age to drink yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a pretty good boy, so I didn't do much of that anyway. And mm-hmm. uh, and I would, I would treat it as a cover, and I would sit in the music venue. I would sit in the pub that was the music venue, and I would just watch act after act after act after act. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I would go home and play all their material oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, and so they were like you should audition for the ohio renaissance festival and i'm like okay and they twisted my arm and i managed to get the audition um which itself was a bit of a tale but i did it and i got the audition and nailed it and they said yeah we're gonna hire you to sing songs in the streets of our renaissance festival and i said great and opening day they said hey we have an opening we're gonna put you on the main stage <gasps> Main stage. Where I'm sharing the space with all of these acts that the previous year I had been watching play after play. And of course, I played all All of their their music. I figured I could get away with playing it in the lanes. But but now I'm on their stage and I had to learn a a number. You know, I'm like, okay, well, what songs do I know, you know, that I pulled off of a tape or that my dad listened to when I was a kid? You know, my dad was a Clancy Brothers Kingston Trio guy. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm pulling out of my repertoire what I can and then spent the next couple of weeks really uh, really getting up to speed. And oh then working at the Renaissance Festival, I found out people do this for a living. They travel and they do mm-hmm. multiple Renaissance festivals. And I, at the time, I was at Ohio State and I, uh, Columbus, Ohio is a nice central location. And I was, you know, six to eight hour drive from a number of shows. And mm-hmm. I just did the thing where at this point luckily the internet is a thing it's not yeah. a very good thing yet but it's a thing you know we're still on dial-up but there are there are ways online to find the contact information for all of these renaissance festivals yeah and i did it and i cold called everybody and i got a lot of no's and one or two maybes that's great and eventually i built you know four or five i guess in 99 i probably had a five maybe six month touring schedule uh, wow. all within range of Columbus so that I could nice. tweak my uh, my schedule, uh, my class schedule, you know, no early mornings on a Monday so that if I am still driving, <laughs> right, you uh, could still make I could it. do that. Yeah. You know, I had a really lenient work schedule. And I was no working late uh, classes on a Friday, no late classes on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And my I was working uh, doing tech support for the, the computer, uh, the computer science department. Mm. And they loved me because I'm like, I can't work weekends. But give me like five hour shifts, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I can, you know, five, six hour shifts. And I would just take these huge blocks of the evening that anyone who had a life didn't want to work. Right. Um, but I would, I would come in and of course, doing tech support at nine o'clock at night. When they need you, they really need you. But right. in general, it's you're doing chill. homework. Right, <laughs> you right. know, it's like I won a radio contest because I'm like, well, I got nothing better to do than to try and be the 19th caller. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's pretty great. I didn't win the car, but I I got a chance to try. Um, that's great. And uh, yeah, it was it was really uh, a good formative experience. And then when I wasn't at work and I wasn't at class, I was at home practicing the mandolin and practicing the citron and my housemates uh i was an apartment a group apartment there were like five of us it was a five bedroom apartment but some of us had dates so we were like eight of us oh yeah and, yeah uh, i've lived in a house like that before right? yep you know they, yep. they held an intervention for me at one point uh oh. because they said look 
it's okay to play until 2 a.m. and it's okay to play at 8 a.m. But stop doing both. Because <laughs> I would I would literally play until I passed out, wake up and play again. Oh wow! And uh, and that was that was the start of a lot of things. Wow! And then I just built up my schedule and built it up, and then I I graduated, and uh, eventually got to a point where where music was was supporting me. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, that's I, a really cool story. I got so lucky in so many dimensions. It's like mm-hmm. I cannot express how many ways I lucked out Mm -hmm. because first of all compact discs were more of a thing and so I really regret that the the model that I used to get off my uh, to get onto uh, the road to get off uh, to get on my feet I guess was no longer exists you know it's like because you put out an album and even if you're a small time act people were buying CDs and buying CDs and buying CDs and so Yeah, you know, I'm I'm making beginner act wages, but I'm almost equaling it in CD sales. Right. And uh, and you know, with with a, a product like that, you don't need everyone to give you five dollars. You need the right four people to give you fifteen. Right. And and right, so exactly. that was a, a really big help coming up in the early days. And uh, and I really admire the business models that I'm seeing in uh, in the younger people around us. But I really mourn for them because it is harder than it was for me right and uh yeah with spotify and um, i mean we're on spotify so holla thank you (laughs) um and amazon which i'm now on amazon Ooh, holla thank you but all of those are um they're subscription based and the musician is not necessarily getting a a cut of that or if they are it's so minuscule it's like point zero 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 one percent or whatever i don't know the exact number i know that i um i still as a point of recording this episode don't have enough um to listens to to get financial like have ads Mm yeah so congratulations everyone who got in early um to listen to this but pretty soon i'm on that threshold very soon it's gonna go to advertising space so that's pretty exciting and then once that happens then i can say okay well if you'd like to really subscribe to me then go to my patreon and i will make these episodes available to you um, ad-free yeah, but until until I get ads, there's not really a point to do right. that right now. And there's no way that I can offer CDs, you know. But there are things like merch that I can right. do, T-shirts or whatever. I just haven't delved into that yet. There's and a lot, and of- there's there's a lot of challenge with that yeah. too, as somebody who doesn't like the the evil capitalism, as it were. I, I do recognize its place in things, mm-hmm. right? I literally work in a capitalistic location, whether it's food or um, ocarinas or <laughs> right. or hand-blown pots or whatever, or uh, as a washing well wench. There is a sense of capitalism there because I'm performing a show and I, I hope to receive a tip because of that. Right. Um, however, I, I'm not a big materialistic person. Right. So do... I personally want to create t-shirts because I don't really want you to have more t-shirts. Can we just use the t-shirts that are, have already existed? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, a, that's that an a, interesting. Is that a possibility? Yeah. I kind of I kind of personally wish that I could go to a thrift store, buy 
buy thousands of dollars worth of merchandise, turn them inside out, print my logo right. on the inside version, kind of thing. Yeah. and then sell that. So it's now a two-layered shirt as opposed to one. And it's upcycled, and you don't know what you're going to get. So it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> that's that's a fascinating idea. That's All right, I want to trademark that. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's like, been yeah, recorded. do it. Yeah, like, stamp. <laughs> yeah, yours. I guess I just need the per capita to get me to that to yeah. that business model. But maybe I'll do that. Maybe I will. Watch yeah, me go. It's it's it, it's, it's an ever evolving. I mean, and it's it's watching it spread to other things now. You know, my friends yeah. in the visual arts are really concerned about AI. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and I'm like, yeah, I can I can really see because technology has enabled on one hand. You know, it gives with one hand, takes away with the other. Yeah. And I came of age as a musician in this window where recording music was really cheap, but still really profitable because the musicians who came a generation before me had the ability to record, but they're recording on analog equipment. They need six sound engineers and to release on vinyl and cassette. And that yeah. is a much more expensive proposition than being able to take a digital recording workstation mm -hmm. um, that I'm renting time on from a friend. And now it's even easier. And now it's even easier. Because look at me go. Right. And it, it's... <laughs> Technically, I have a port in this little Moana Maono caster that I can plug in uh, a, a music. Yeah. I can plug in, like if I had a pickup on my ukulele, which uh, it's been it's been threatened that somebody's going to buy me a, a ukulele that's a plug-in or an electric, whatever. And then I can maybe make my own songs or, and stuff on, on this and that would be pretty neat too mm -hmm, absolutely um, so we'll see if that happens uh, yeah so so in this new world that we're in how are you supplementing your income oh you're fine it's just a picnic table at Sherwood and I'll tell the bo bosses about it or site crew will be like excuse me that's why this dent is here no I'm just kidding the the question I was going to ask is Changes. Changes. Like, how are you as a musician able to combat that lack of CD sales? For me, it's Patreon. Mm -hmm. Patreon has been a huge... If I look at the charts, because I'm also a spreadsheet geek and mm -hmm. I made these charts. Mm -hmm. If I look at the charts of, of the last uh, 15 years of my career, mm -hmm. I, uh, I can see that the amount... I've lost in CD sales has been almost exactly compensated by a surprisingly successful Patreon campaign. That's great. And that has, again, I'm, I'm very grateful, but I also was, you know, 15 years into a career when I needed to make that switch. And that's one thing that I mourn about for, for people who are younger, who don't have that basis of support. You know, right. it's like when you have been touring, when you've been doing shows, when you've been active on social media, as mm -hmm. long as I have, where I have been able to make friends and fans face to face who have seen me live, who have taken the music home, who have, who have kept me bookmarked on social media. And then I advertise, oh, this is another way you can support me. Also get some extra goodies. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the, the, they really stepped up. And, uh, and then during lockdown, even more because they were, they recognized that my career had disappeared overnight yeah. and, uh, and they were extraordinarily generous. And with also the help of, uh, of some government funding, I did not get unemployment, but I did get a small business loan that totally kept me afloat. That's great. 
um, made made things work. And it is that that difference where I have been able to take Patreon and help fill the gap. Also, merch for me isn't just about compact discs anymore. Now, I do have USB thumb drives. I just oh, released uh, pins enameled pins fun uh that are are really kind of cool i really love how they came out and so it is it is that broadening and that expansion but again all of it entails more work than uh than once upon a time cool what um when you what is your patreon Sorry, I want to make sure that it's oh. said, and then I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. But what's your Patreon? Patreon.com slash Vince Conaway. Don't forget the uh, there's an A in the middle of Conaway. Great. Uh, for a while, some Vince Conway was getting some of my Venmos. Oh, no. <laughs> Until I realized what was going on. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to slap a QR code. Yes, QR codes are very big. When, yeah. I, when I'm a washing well wench, I just do a QR code. It's so much easier to, to just be like, here, scan this. Right. Um, because we get that a lot too. Sometimes I get what I was doing for a while. Uh, Venmo was letting me do this. Is they were allowing me to change the name because I do so many different festivals right. and so many different things. So I have no parchment needed. I have washing well wenches. I just have Cassie Townsend. Like mm-hmm. so, who knows what I'm going to be doing? So I was changing it, and I was also changing it for the wench combo that I was doing. So it was like Daisy and Lulu mm-hmm. or. Daisy and Tally or Daisy and Gertie, whatever. But then they put a, they were like, okay, you've changed it way too many times. (laughs) And they said, no more. And I said, oh. (laughs) So the last one was washing wenches or something like that, which is very similar to washing well wenches, which is owned by, I I believe it's, um, Sprout is the mm. one who has washing well wenches. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't change it anymore. But I'm very honest. And anytime I know that I'm working at a festival and somebody sends me a tip from Colorado, from or, Colorado or, yeah. or Arizona, like I'm here and, and they sent me one in Arizona. And I was like, I'm not wenching. So <laughs> Pretty this, sure is, that. this five bucks is for you, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send it to you right now. And so I did. And, and it, you know, it works out fine. Um, maybe I should change it to be maybe work history or something and then deal with it. Or, or just Cassie Townsend, change right. it back to that, I guess I could do. But then that works with the veil. You know, there's, right. there's washing while wenches have a certain veil, which I am very clear with i'm i'm very transparent with my veil is like i'm daisy when i'm dressed like a washing well wench my hair is up my teeth are blacked out i'm in those crazy costumes that's daisy and if you try to call me cassie i will call you out and say i don't know who that is or are you talking about my ugly twin sister because (laughs) i I don't like her like but i'm daisy and then honk honk my boobs and then you're right i'm back into clowning but a lot of the wenches like to have this really dark veil in between mm-hmm. it. And so they are only their character name. Yeah. And they don't even like to friend people who are, uh, who are just random patrons. You know, well, tell me your real name. But what's your real name, though? Mm-hmm. And it's like they, they don't, they want that separation because they want to be able to be the teacher in their day job or their whatever it is. And because people are awful. Especially, Some people are awful, especially yeah. male people. 
Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're, I'm, I'm not saying women can't be stalkers because God knows I've they seen it. They definitely can be. The really yeah. scary ones tend to be dudes. Right. And, right. Uh, and yeah, the washing wall wenches, because they're so approachable. Right. You know, it, it's a whole well, thing. And, and the washing wall wenches are very flirtatious, yes. especially with men, but with all genders. We're very flirtatious, and it and uh, the allure or the the supposition is that we are all single and we're all available trying to get a man. That's the storyline, right. but that's the character. That's not the actor within. I I don't know if you ever got to. I know we just talked about characters, but I don't know if you ever got a chance to work with or meet Ginny B. I never did. Um, I that is one of the Washington wenches I wish I had I had known. But I, the last time I, I got the opportunity to see her, um, I was, I had just, I, I don't even remember the circumstances. I think I was even working, so I was in, in costume and everything. But I go up randomly, you know, to put my arm around my friend and her partner hip checks me oh just like <laughs> just one of you have not been cleared for takeoff <laughs> right. no 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 we're cool <laughs> she knows oh, me okay. but, yeah but yeah it was like wow good for you great yeah, great uh, good job great instincts because yeah. yeah this wench i hadn't even seen comes out of nowhere and bam <laughs> oh she came in like a wrecking ball that's great that's amazing uh, yeah, we definitely, as Washington Wenches, have each other's backs for sure. Um, on the on the whole, you know, there's some that personalities are going right. to clash, of course, with everything. But it goes back to that: uh, you're only as good as the people that you're working with, you know. Or, and and Danny has a good eye for people, a really good eye for people. Yeah, for sure. And I think all of the wenches, I think all of us have have also learned what that is yeah. too. Um, all right. Yes. Anyway. Let's get back to it. <laughs> so I would say, I would say as a musician, odd jobs are kind of your jam. But at the same time, as a, as a Ren Fair musician, you started out pretty young as a Ren Fair performer. So really your odd job was the tech support right. and, <laughs> and the data entry. Um, yeah. So those were your odd jobs. So we don't have to talk about that anymore, but did you have any passion projects throughout your life? Has there been a, um, so passion projects is more philanthropic, something that you're doing for volunteer basis, something that you just, you're, you're impassioned to do. You must do this thing. Otherwise, uh, you know, and you don't worry about the pay or whatever. So I am in an extraordinarily fortunate position. You'll notice a theme. Mm-hmm. Super lucky that I play a weird instrument that's very catching to the eye and unique to the ear mm-hmm. because uh, the hammer dulcimer is different from pretty much anything else. Yes. And the freedom and joy with that is I can play anything mm. and anything I play is going to get a similar reaction. Mm. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's, there is a standard with, with Irish jigs and stuff. There, there are certain things that are very common on the Renaissance fair circuit and things that audiences really respond well to. But on the other hand, if I want to play slow, something slow and pretty, I can play something that is a traditional Irish air. Or I can play something by an obscure Baroque composer nobody has ever heard of. And I mm. love those obscure composers. So I have mm. a, a stable of passion projects. There are a number of, of styles of music and composers um, because I am a history geek. 
that uh, that I really, really treasure. And there's there's a couple in particular that I really, really love. And one of the greatest, greatest compliments I've had is uh, when a friend who plays classical guitar came up once and said, so I've been digging into the repertoire of Francesco Canova because you play him all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I have, I have done it. And so a lot of my passion projects are just folded into the overarching because I do have that ability to play pretty much anything. And as long as I play it approachably, which mm-hmm. admittedly may be played a little too fast, may be played a little too loud. Right. Um, I'm just going to help you out with some of these little I bugs appreciate that keep that. I'm, I'm making friends. We are outside, so bugs are loving both of us. It's this. These lessons have been learned. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we live and work outside a lot, so, uh, that's, so that's not yeah. unusual. Um, but, yeah, so it, it's the passion projects I have <clears throat> tend to be just how to play really obscure, sometimes bizarre music very approachably and to bring it to a wider audience. One of the things that I, uh, I've done with the album that's going to be released next week. Um, oh, next week. Next so week. Well, it's, Monday. It's, I'm, it's I'm a little already, annoyed. It's after the weekend. So, <laughs> wow, that's exciting because it's actually going to be released before this episode. Yes, yes. So out, it will be so. my new album at yeah, that point. Yeah, your new album. What is it, your uh, new album titled? My new album is called Musica Instrumentalis, which I'm so proud of because I'm a geek. <laughs> and it just means instrumental music, but it's a cognate in English, Spanish, and Italian, huh. which means that it is recognizable as instrumental music in the three languages I most often perform in. Wow. And uh, it's, a lot of it's really fancy music. You know, it, it's, okay. there's, there's a core of music that I wrote. There's a core of, uh, of traditional music and uh, medieval music, which if you don't really know what you're listening to, medieval music and Irish music kind of sound the same. Um, <laughs> But there's also this treasure of, uh, of Renaissance and Baroque music that is ridiculously complex, uh, ridiculously complicated. Um, in some cases, uh, the particular project uh, is I was r- specifically looking to revive the repertoires of forgotten women composers oh, wow. uh, of the late 1500s and early 1600s. So I've got a couple of those on there. But in the main, it's a lot of really complicated music that helped me get through lockdown. Okay. Because I'm not good at mindfulness, and the way that I would distract myself is I would play music that was difficult enough where I literally wasn't capable of thinking about what a dumpster fire the world was. <laughs> yeah, I got a little bug crawling on the microphone. It's pretty neat. It's not like you can blow it off the mic. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not. a challenge. It's fine. They can live there. Uh, I'm not licking the microphone, so that's a benefit to the situation. That's really, really awesome. I'm looking forward to listening to that album, and I will put the... Is it going to be on Spotify or just It will on? be. It'll, be, it'll right. be on every uh, major platform. It'll be on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon. Uh, Great. Basically all over the place. I will make sure and, and link to that. And then... Do you have, um, I mean, again, odd jobs, passion projects, side hustles, they seem all congruous. It's, that's that's with the thing your, is the whole... With your particular line of work and your job. Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, I consider myself, first of all, recording artists and performing artists are different jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're obviously related. They're similar. But they're, you can be it is both, but they're very different. Different skill set. And mm-hmm. I, am, I am more of a performing artist by inclination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do not love 
the studio process. I'm like, mm. give me an audience. Let me let me use music as a way to connect to people, mm. rather than playing music into a microphone to be captured forever. Right. You know, that just, it psychs me out. Less now that I've done 18 of them. But 18 albums. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just counted the wow. other day because I've got one coming up. I'm like, this is number 18. Wow. Your albums can now vote. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first one was in 99. So in that, I'm behind. They can drink too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. 18 albums. That's really exciting. And I'm sure there's been a lot of growth there. And each album, it, it would be a different... Do you, do you put different songs on each one? Like, have you, do you have any, like, old standards that you're like, oh, every third album I always put on... I haven't Bell's traditionally. Not, no, I mean, I just started playing that one. It's hard to boil oh, a quartet sorry. into two hands. Um, <laughs> but I... Uh, I have a couple that I've recorded twice, and I'm a, on the next album, I'm going to have a couple of standards that I've recorded before. Uh, but in general, I've got themes. You know, it, it's right. one of those things that, that the albums tend to acquire personalities based on what I was doing and what I was thinking during the writing and learning process. You know, it's like if I was on an Irish kick this album's going to have more Irish. If I, uh, it, you mm -hmm. know, I got really into Outlander, and so there's a little more Scottish music on one a couple albums ago. Right. Okay. And, uh, and things like that. And, uh, and they tend to acquire their own balance. And again, this one is a little more formal Baroque because that was the music that was keeping me somewhat sane during lockdown. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, they do tend to acquire it. But in general, I try and keep it a fair balance of all of the different things that I do. It's just that the levels between them varies a little bit. You know, it's like, so there's always going to be original music that I wrote. There's always going to be some traditional music. There's generally some medieval music uh, and some more formal Renaissance and Baroque music. But the proportion of those four categories will vary album to album. Nice. So it's fairly easy for me to point and say, this is the Irish one. It has all the same genres that the other. It's just that Irish is turned up in the mix, so to speak. Right, right. That's pretty cool. Thanks for letting me in on your process. Not everyone does that, and that's pretty cool. So I'm gonna, definitely going to link to some of your albums here, and or at least to your your, Spotify your page, and, your Spotify, yeah, Vince Conaway page. And the Spotify link is right at the top of the Vince Conaway page. Perfect. So Spotify, YouTube, iTunes. Do and you have Instagram. a link tree? I don't. I I... Every time someone says to just put in one link instead of a link tree, I always put in Patreon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, just yeah. go here. Thanks. Right. That's smart. Yeah. All right. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to learn from others, and that's helping me. As you, have you ever had an affirmation of your career? Yes. I mean, first of all, the fact that I'm still doing it 24 years later. That's pretty uh, good pretty affirmation. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, I've been full-time since 2002. Wow. Um, 2002 is when I attended my first Renaissance Festival as a patron, wow. one day. And I was a patron ever, only one day. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's all it took. That's hilarious. I was a patron for a couple of years. For, for years. My first, my first Renfair gig, speaking of odd jobs, my first Renfair gig, technically... Uh, was my second appearance as a, a patron. And I showed up in the parking lot at a little Labor Day weekend festival that is long since defunct outside Cleveland. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I show up and I park and I go to go in and the parade is lining up outside the front gate. 
And they said, we have a puppet. If you get in the puppet, we'll let you in for free if you do the parade. Oh, my gosh. And so I got in the puppet and walked in the parade. Gosh. And then I had a, a friend who was a vendor. And what he would do is he had this massive booth, this absolutely massive Bedouin-style tent. And, uh, and you know, he would take three days to set it up, but they, only, they had to get it down overnight. Oof. And he would hand out passes to, uh, to anyone who was willing to, to, quote, work for him, which was just, you know, tearing it down. four hours of teardown after close on Labor Day Monday. Oof. And so that was my second job was I was I was working technically as a vendor. I wasn't selling anything. Right. I just uh, construction. I, exactly. I, right? Construction <laughs> I was life. right yep. into that. And uh, and yeah, I would I would show up and I would play all weekend at the Ren Fair and then stay late on Monday and help tear down the tent. Fun. That's amazing. I had forgotten about some of this stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I really like this podcast because uh, it seems to bring at, or spark some old memories for, yeah. for people, for myself as well. So you mentioned affirmations. The best note I ever got was very early in my career. And I was just starting out and I knew my own limitations. And I had a lot of friends who were really solidly in my corner and were really hugely supportive. But they were supportive in a way that's not that's helpful to your ego, but not helpful to your act. Mm, you know, yeah. it's like, they were like, you're great. You're fantastic. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I, but what could be fixed? Right. You know, it's <laughs> like, and then I, I was at one of my, my very early shows. It's like the second Renaissance fair I've ever done. And Dexter Tripp was there and doing that show. And it was a tiny show. It was an awful show. Um, it was a, a difficult show. I shouldn't say awful. I'm not going to pass that judgment, but it was a difficult, very poorly attended show. So everyone who was there, we all got a chance to hang out because we weren't, you know, the, when, when attendance is in low double digits, it's Ooh, like yeah. the cast wanted to have T-shirts made. I stuck the patron because a couple <laughs> would walk in, see everything, leave, and another couple would walk in. Right. I mean, it was it right. was that, and so we all hung out, and I got, and so of course we all saw each other's stuff, and uh, and Dex says to me, looks me in the eye, and he says, "One day you're gonna be good," <laughs> oh. and that was the perfect compliment. Nice. Because he, he looked at me and he, he, he explained himself. He's like, the way that you relate to your audience has a huge amount of potential. And artistically, you're finding your feet, but you'll get there. Huh. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was, that was the note that I needed at the time that I needed it. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Oh, wow. That's really cool. One day you're going to be good. One day you're going to be good. Huh. But yeah, the, cool. uh, the affirmation, you know, that the fact that, I'm still here and, uh, yeah. and it's still working, you know, with changes, but still working is mind blowing to me. In five to 10 years, what do you see yourself doing? Honestly, I don't see my event horizon is generally about five years. Um, and one of the things about putting out an album is uh, since my albums tend to have about a five year life cycle before I, I take them out of print. Um, otherwise, 18 albums are really unmanageable. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, every time I put out an album, it's like, okay, this is, this is an investment in the next five years. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I really don't see, knock on wood, you know, I, I certainly didn't see things like a global pandemic on their way. But right. <laughs> barring the unforeseen, I'm really happy 
with where I am and what my model is. And I continue to tweak it and I keep following the muse as, to far, as far as what I want to play. But how I want to play it and where I want to play it um, between street performing in Europe, Latin America, and Canada and the American Renaissance Festival circuit, I am, I'm really pleased. And uh, I, am, I am in the process of approaching middle age, entering middle age, I guess, of, uh, of making sure that I can do it in a way that's sustainable physically. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm taking breaks in a way I didn't used to. I am stretching right. now, which I probably have been doing for, should have been doing for years. Uh, but now I need to do it. <laughs> right. right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at an age where when you refer to the good drugs, you mean the prescription anti-inflammatory meloxicam. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so there, there are certain things that I'm making to, to make sure that I can keep doing it. But as long as right. I can keep doing it, I don't really see a big change on the horizon. Mm. That being said, the type of person I am is I am a planner. And if I don't have an exit strategy, I will feel trapped. And if I feel trapped, then I will feel a need to exit. So my exit strategy is teaching. Oh, great. Um, okay. You know, I, I, between a bachelor's in engineering and a master's in history, I can, I can probably make something work. And uh, I would love to. It, it's, it is the worst job in academia. But if I, for example, kept a single renaissance fair, kept a big show, mm -hmm. um, I could actually do fairly well teaching adjunct faculty. Mm -hmm. And again, I understand what a terrible gig adjunct faculty is, but if I pair it with a big show, right. it would actually be a livable income. Right. Um, right. As opposed to the situation under which adjunct faculty met struggles. Right. Um, and so that is, that is kind of the backup plan slash retirement plan slash uh, we'll see where I am. Uh, and how things are going, but for the yeah. foreseeable future, I'm 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 happy. I'm enjoying it. Cool. Do you think if you were to be dropped back into your high school self's body, some alien or at some time the doctor came <laughs> in and there was some weird time space continuum quantum leap thing where you got zapped back into your high school self's body, do you think you would choose the same path? I think that I would make, I mean, career path, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. The things that I would change would be personal things. Well, there you go. You know, it's yeah. like I have, I have spent at this point a lot of years working on myself. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've learned a lot more about myself and there are certain mistakes. Um, with all apologies to my ex-wife, for example. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, there, there are some choices that I made that were not good. I'm going to get another friend off of your shoulder. Making friends. Making friends with the inchworms. Huh. But yeah, so, so on a personal level, there are, there are things that I would tweak. Yeah, you know, for I sure. Would, I would be like, oh, this style of relationship doesn't fit you. Um, mm -hmm. This is a thing that you need to know about yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um that would have been really valuable to know. At but career-wise, you're just you're. You, no, I'm. I feel I'm like thrilled. you were pretty much, pretty direct. Not necessarily that you wanted to be a musician, but you were fairly direct. Once your, I discovered I path. wanted to be a musician, I got there 
quite quickly. And, and that's because you had the piano background. Right. What I, other instruments did you play after piano? So I had piano, and then I went to mountain dulcimer, and then I had mandolin, and then I picked up citern, which is the big mandolin I mentioned earlier that mm -hmm. I was singing with. Mm -hmm. uh, I picked up a tiny bit of guitar and banjo, guitar mainly out of self-defense, because there's always guitars and guitarists around. And as a musician, if you can read a guitarist's left hand, Oh, you know you what know to play. Up. Yeah. You know, it's like if you can if you can just keep an eye on you're like, okay, we're yeah, in the key of C and there's an F in there and there's the G and okay, it's a simple one, four, five. We're doing oh no, the chorus starts on the four, but that's workable. Um right. you know, just to be able to watch someone's hands. You said some words I understood and some I didn't, so it's great. Go ahead. <laughs> the the mental process I go through. <laughs> yeah. I have a, an old friend who calls me theory boy. Um <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, valuable skill and also you know if you can bang out wonderwall at a party it's a great way to be <laughs> hated by all right thinking people but uh also a good way to break the ice right um but uh from there i, I went to the dulcimer and what what happened was uh with that is i was already semi-professional i was already on the road mm -hmm. um and i went to a renaissance festival for fun i went to uh to maryland for fun because back in those days I was doing the Ohio Renaissance Festival. Ohio closed a week earlier before Maryland and I took mm. a road trip to Maryland. And I knew I had a bunch of friends there, most of the booths there, because uh, Maryland at the time had a sister show in Canada that I was doing, the Ontario mm. Renaissance Festival. Oh, wow. Oh, I missed that show. And, uh, and so I was hanging out with my friend Dave, who owns a music store at both shows. And he hadn't had a floor model in, a, in Canada, but he had a hammered dulcimer for sale in Maryland. And I played Mary Had a Little Lamb. Mm -hmm. And I handed Dave my credit card. <laughs> nice. And I took it home. And then I did what I had done with the Mountain Dulcimer. I did what I had done with the Mandolin. I did what I had done with the Citroen. And I played five hours a day for the next six months. <gasps> I started incorporating it into my other gigs. And within a couple of years, the Dulcimer took over. Not least because singing is really hard. Physically, singing is demanding. Just forcing that much air through your lungs is yeah. exhausting. Second of all, as someone who is prone to anxiety, the voice is the first thing to go with illness, the last thing to come back. And I was having mm. anxiety attacks on show days because I'm like, I wake up, oh, is it still there? Can I still do right, it? Right. And uh, and. Between those two things, I found that instrumentalism was the direction that I was I was falling into, and I just mm -hmm. went with it. Yeah. You know, not least because the voice is a fragile instrument as well, and I could sing for two hours a day, or I could play instrumentally for six. Yeah, there's definitely some washing well wenches, like to equate it to my own life, there's some washing <laughs> well wenches out there who... They're doing their stretches on the stage every morning. They're doing their vocal exercises. They're mihi or whatever. And um, I get compliments from some of the trailers around me like, oh, I just love it when y'all wake up and it's so nice. <laughs> and then that wench doesn't perform with me again. And they're like, what happened to the warming up? I thought you guys weren't. I was like, oh, no, that was just her. Because <laughs> like, for me, even though I did have a choral background mm -hmm. in high school, I'm, I'm stronger theatrically. Right. And so for me, I'm not really concerned with singing the right note. I don't have theory. <laughs> I'm can if I mess it up, I can make that funny. Right. So if I'm stuffy, that's just going to be a, a an avenue for me to be funny. Mm -hmm. If I if my throat is scratchy because I sound like Kathleen Turner, that's just another avenue for me to make a funny. Right. And I'm it's actually worse for me because I 
don't care that I'm scratchy. I'll still try yourself. to yeah, and I'll I'll hurt myself even worse, and I'll end up getting laryngitis for three right. days after the oh. <laughs> after that weekend. But also, don't care. You know, I, I, that's how that's how laissez-faire I am with it. Because I know that, specifically with washing wall winches, I'm not trying to be on the note and trying to make right. sure I hit the C or the, the A or the Q or whatever the letter is that I have to hit. I don't. That doesn't matter. I just have to make sure that the people are smiling, mm -hmm. that they're having a good time. Nobody looks bored. Nobody is walking away. Right. That's my job. <laughs> Let's make them laugh. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. Doesn't matter if I'm on the tune. You know, it's just, it doesn't matter. See, you laughed. Perfect. Nailed it. Always make them laugh. Try to make them cry. Right, exactly. Try to make them pee their pants. And with that, I am at the last question. The bum, final bum, question. Bum. And this is... What advice do you have for anyone who, whether it be a teenager or somebody late in their life who wants to change up what they're doing or is maybe interested in, become, in becoming a musician, um, whether it be a musician of Renaissance festivals or just becoming a musician, what advice do you have for them? Every career, every job is going to have parts that are work. <clears throat> yeah. The trick is find something, at least in my experience, find something where that is the minority of the job. Mm. You know, it's like I, I love performing and I love rehearsing mm -hmm. even. I dislike recording. Mm -hmm. And uh, I even like some of the bookkeeping you know, it, it, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm very fortunate. There are so many parts of what I do that I love. But the key is I love travel mm -hmm. and I love performance. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I do, I, loving rehearsal is what got me to that point. But even if you don't love rehearsing, if you just do enough of it based on the fact that you love performing, that is a totally viable model. Mm -hmm. And so if you just love enough or uh, conversely, if you love rehearsing and not performing, I know people in that boat. I know it's especially common among jugglers, you know, people oh, who just yeah. really love to juggle. Yeah. Um, you know, if you love to practice and you love to travel, maybe not loving performance, maybe that's the part of your job that is work. But there's in any job, there is part that is work and part that it is passion. And in my opinion, especially if you're taking on a creative career, having the part that is passion needs to outnumber the part that feels like work. Yeah. Because otherwise the sacrifices, and there are sacrifices, the yeah. sacrifices of a creative career don't seem worth it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you so much, Vince, for being on Work History Podcast. It was really a joy talking to you. Thank you for having me. It's great to hang out with you. all the interruptions with bugs and golf cars well and whatever that sound is. Oh, plane. I think it's a plane. <laughs> yeah, we had quite a few planes. The birds. I'm really glad a bird. I didn't think about it until literally at this moment. I'm really glad a bird did not fly over us and defecate on any of my material here my laptop or the soundboard i would i would be very shocked and would have to clean it my dulcimer has taken a couple hits over the years i'm sure it has because you're an outdoor performer wow i didn't even think about that i discovered asking you about that oh 
Yeah, that's that's a joy. But I, I discovered fairly early on that yes, it might be really cute to have the pigeons coo 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 around, yeah. but don't be directly under. Them no, <laughs> because, uh, no, you'll get rained on. Yeah. Oof. Although it's a great way if you're playing for comedy, it's a great way to get a laugh out of your audience. <laughs> there you go. Just make sure oh. you wear a hat. <laughs> yeah. Ew, gross. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank I, you for having I me. I don't think we've actually had an interaction this long uh, in ever. In years. I, I think we might have when we were both staying uh, in St. Louis together. Oh, briefly. yeah, because we were staying at Judas and Magnolia's place yeah. in St. Louis. I was staying in their trailer. I totally forgot about this. We this hung out at City Museum with Magnolia. Yes, we yeah. did. That was really fun. Yeah, I I totally have forgotten that memory. If anyone does get a chance to go to St. Louis and go to City oh, Museum, yeah. it is not a museum. It is a theme park. It is of, a playground. It is so much fun. My rule with it is if if you can't fit in the hole, then that hole was not meant for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is also a fair amount of career advice. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't, don't yeah. push it too hard. If you, if you don't fit in that hole, no matter what it is. <laughs> A relationship, a work, anything. If you don't fit in the hole, it was not meant for you. Go in the hole you're meant for. And I just, oh man, that place is so fun. Going up on the rooftop and being in the school bus that dangles over the edge mm-hmm. of the building. The little airplanes. Oh, the airplanes. Oh, they were so fun. It's like a, a giant building size, 10, 12 story building Massive. of Jungle Gym. Just, just fantastic. That was that was such a fun time. I went there on my birthday, and I remember Facebook live streaming was very popular at the time. Mm, yes. And I live streamed my birthday almost the entire day of that. That was that was such a magical time for me. I really enjoyed that. That is awesome. You what know, a fun thing to share with people. Yeah, I should try to live stream my birthday like every year. Even if I'm just not doing anything, I think that would be a fun thing to do. I tend to do a pub crawl on my birthday, and that could be dangerous. Oh, that'd be a fun thing to do. <laughs> get you have to get somebody else to record, right? It, right. Because you'd want to you'd want to drunk text I people. Thought about doing the thing <laughs> where this is my first drink, this is my second. drink. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw some stuff doing that on the... Anyway, this is not work-related. So if you want to hear more chitty chat like this, please go to patreon.com slash workhistory. Sign up. Uh, I've got it unlocked right now for anyone who just wants to check out what I offer for free. You could uh, you could just probably binge a lot of my videos there and, and read a lot of the content and just get it through it. But if not, you could... Um, just donate five dollars it's just five dollars a month and and you get this content when it happens and every week i put out new stuff so please come over there and and join that and if you want to check out vince conaway he's got a patreon.com slash vince conaway that's v-i-n-c-e-c-o-n-a-w-a-y so check that out all right let's get to this outro Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm your host, Cassie Townsend. Theme song is wrapped by Greg Lestraps. Chris Kempton is our associate producer. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash workhistory. And show notes have additional information on events, so make sure to check that out. Remember to rate, review, share, and subscribe this episode and the show. 
So, what's your work history? 